Welcome to our bonus episode of What Cries Out. You guys have absolutely no idea how grateful we are in just the amount of listeners from all across America and the world. It's almost a moment of just shock for DNI. We did not we did not think that when we started this podcast that we would get maybe two listeners if that that was a hope, a deep deep longing. But when I started getting just the numbers back and people who are listening, I'm just getting blown away. So thank you so much for listening. We are so humbled. Thank you, thank you, thank, thank you. you. Anybody who is willing to give us feedback, we wanted to give you guys our email, whatcriesout@outlook.com. Please give us emails back on any recommendations for crimes or anything that you think we could improve on. Your feedback is so important to us. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating. Definitely a five-star rating. Five-star rating. Let me inception your brain. And then lastly, we really wanted to make this episode, Why True Crime? Please enjoy, and we'll give you guys a short background of us. I'm C, the daughter. I'm a Colorado native, which means I have never gone skiing. And going to the mountains never means anywhere specific. I'm a firstborn American in my family and grew up with my own set of challenges. I come from a reasonably large family, and I'm the third child with two older brothers and a younger sister. I like heels, but I like to rough it. And I'm Dee. I'm the mom, and I'm also grandma. I'm the mom of four wonderful children and the grandmother of how many now? Seven? I'm a former military brat. My dad served in the Army and then Air Force, so we traveled to a lot of different places, and I never really set down any roots. I made Colorado my home back in 1985 and have been here ever since. Like my daughter and a lot of Colorado natives here, I don't ski. And another thing, just because we are the Mile High City, we were one of the first states to legalize marijuana. Not everybody here gets high. We don't toke. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times we've gone to another state and they see our license plate and it's like, oh, you're from Colorado. There's an assumption. (laughs) Right. Although the mountains are beautiful, my passion lies in the desert southwest, especially Arizona. I love indigenous culture and landscape. I'm a dog lover, a bit introverted, very creative, and I love geography. I have a background in education, was a teacher's aide for many years, a substitute teacher and tutor. So what draws us personally to true crime? I would say that our upbringing, my siblings and I, we just grew up surrounded with court TV and my mom's general paranoia. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I grew up in a trailer park, pretty humble beginnings. I was once almost grabbed by a man tweaking on drugs when I was about 10. And I think it kind of impacted me into thinking that there is evil in the world. I still remember his face to this day. I had enough exposure as a child to be highly aware of my surroundings. And I'd say for schooling, I kind of grew up when mass shootings in Colorado were synonymous with schools. I grew up with the Columbine shooting happening when I was only in fourth grade. And that really formulated, I guess, an inner awareness, you can say. Would you say there was a lot of trauma with that? It was probably my own logic of how to get over the fear. There's the flight or fight. Colorado is pretty known for a lot of our mass shootings, which is disappointing. (laughs) But I still remember my teacher's face and the level of shock that was on an adult. I guess one of the other things that really did change my point of view with crime and what has drawn me more deeply is the impact of a mass shooting in my own community. 
it was 2007 when I witnessed not just several high school friends who I went to school with, but it was there were a theater shooting. I had several friends who were there that night. To this day, it's hard seeing them go through PTSD, and it's a hard thing for me to talk about. Well, you guys also didn't live too far away. Yeah. I mean, how many miles were you guys from Century 16? Yeah, I remember hearing sirens for hours. Yeah, you guys were probably, what, two miles? Yeah. Two miles. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would say for me, what draws me into that specific podcasting is just that forum to talk about it. And maybe there's a level of trauma that I'm drawn to the darkness of humanity just because it has impacted my community so close to home. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know, it's not just about the criminal, okay? It's the victims that are impacted and how we as a society react to crime on an individual level and as a community. Yeah, there's so much people who you know through the nurses, the first responders, Mm -hmm. and it just creates a level of, I don't want to say bonding because that sounds sadistic, but I do think that there is a level of understanding. Mm -hmm. And only people who have witnessed that Colorado kind of spirit, there's times we've rallied back, but there's also times that I've felt the need for change to happen and lessons to be taught. You went to school and there was no lockdown procedures. Mm -hmm. There's never that general fear. And it was synonymous with my schooling. So I would say that definitely has influenced how and why we have chosen podcasting. Right. Well, what draws me to true crime? As a child, I was always curious and tried to make sense of behavior. Uh, Why was something I always asked, and I think I still have that mindset. Why? I grew up in a very tumultuous environment and had experienced a very traumatic incident when I was very young. So in a way, it's a way for me to go back to the scene of the crime in a very safe way. My dad was also an MP, a military police, and a security police in the military. So there's that law enforcement side there, too. I'm very interested in how people react to certain crimes and how it affects our behavior. I'm also interested in the dynamics between the victim and the perpetrator. By the way, I've never watched Law & Order or CSI, (laughs) but did like forensic files and, like you mentioned, court TV trials in American Justice. Uh, when I was young, I loved reading Nancy Drew. <laughs> I did too. Yeah, I got Nancy, me Drew Nancy Drew was so awesome. Yes. <laughs> and I went from reading Stephen King to reading true crime books, and my favorite author was Anne Rule. Real life is more terrifying than fiction. Uh, one of the most interesting books I read was Fatal Vision by Joe McGinnis. Uh, he, it was about a family annihilator named Jeffrey McDonald. So that was my first inkling into the family annihilator thing, and that actually fascinated me because I didn't even know this was a thing that existed. I yeah. didn't, you know. Yeah, I agree. I'd say that you really did create an environment for us to, I don't know how to describe it. You allowed us to be aware of darkness because of what you went through as a child. And and it was done in a healthy way. Okay, yeah. It was I done hope in I, a healthy I, I way. I hope I didn't no, traumatize you guys. No, I mean, I think if it wasn't for you, that time <laughs> when I was young, I was, oh gosh, in sixth grade when this man tried to grab me. I knew exactly that this person had a malice nature, even at such a young age. To this day, I think that there was a level of protection over me that pulled me from that incident. And if it wasn't for some level of awareness, awareness, yeah. I really thank God that I was protected from that. Well, you know, there's that fine balance of not wanting to instill fear, okay, and make you guys afraid. But at the same time, knowing that there are true life monsters out there. 
there has to be a level of awareness that, you know, your children need to have. I remember I was walking home from with a friend from school, and literally the moment we separated, the guy made himself known. He came out of nowhere, crossed me, followed me through the street, and he was telling me to stop, and he was giving me orders and demands in an authoritative manner. But he was also sweating and had what looked like drugs in his system. And I remember instantly I created a level of separation, and I started running instantly. Good. The dude ran mm-hmm. after me. I knew there was a hill down, a little crack in this fence. Mm-hmm. I ran, and the dude grabbed my backpack and was trying to pull me. And I slipped through with my backpack around my shoulders. And I got away. I ran straight home and did not look back behind me. And immediately when I went home, I was, I would say I was a turnkey kid, but I had two older brothers, you know? And the moment I walked to the door, I told him, and my brother stood out there with a bat. <laughs> You know, it it is so scary that this is um, actually a more common thing. It is. You know, um, I was 12 years old, and I was walking home from school, and uh, I had a guy encounter me, and I was very young. I was only 12, you know, and but then um, I remember some of the questions he asked me, you know, questions I won't even repeat on here. But it's, you know, I think it happens more than, you know, we think. It, It does, especially with, you know, with young girls. So what crimes affected you the most? I would say definitely most recently, it was the two major mass shootings that I can pull to my brain. That's what's affected me now. But I'd say some of the cases to this day that have changed me pretty early on was the John Benny Ramsey case. Mm -hmm. I remember it was such a heavy news crime. Mm -hmm. But I remember at a young age, it was 1996 when that crime happened, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty young. I had a lot of relatability with John Benny Ramsey. Not in wealth, but (laughs) definitely relatability. And I think at that age, I became aware of monsters. Mm -hmm. And and there was an exposure that came to be. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to kids who have witnessed 9-11. They become aware of an evil. And you can't prevent that awareness. You guys saw that unfolding. We were getting ready. I was getting ready for you guys to go to school. And I remember I was in the kitchen, and you said to me, a plane just crashed into a tower. I saw the second one go in. And it was in that moment, I remember watching the news and reiterating it all to my mom. Mm. And I think I was pretty young because I was still watching Blue's Clues. (laughs) Well, you know, I think anybody at that point, could, um, when 9-11 happened, we could all sit back and say, where were you? Oh, yeah. And people can remember that. Because of the trauma associated with it. People remember to this day exactly what they were doing when the Mm -hmm. Kennedy assassination happened. Mm -hmm. So I say that the John Benet Ramsey case definitely did affect me. It made me aware that crimes happened to children in a sexual manner. Mm -hmm. And I was aware of it. I'd say the other case that I followed most heavily was the Scott Peterson case. That was one of the cases that I remember the news media, but also remember the court TV trial. I remember my mom following it. Every morning when you would turn the TV on, I'd run, I'd brush my teeth, I'd run to the room saying, is it on? And I just had such this desire for justice. And I wanted to see this guy be sentenced. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see Lacey Peterson's justice unfold. I want to see her unborn babies, you know, yeah, justice. Right. And I love seeing the trial because it gave you a sense that there's that there were good guys fighting the bad guys. Exactly. That there was lawyers, police officers, people who actually had a job that involved this. Mm-hmm. And that gave me such ironic hope for mm-hmm. it. But how about you? Yeah, what were, were some working on the behalf of the victims? It was amazing yeah. to see. To see it done in such um a chess game. They had information. They knew the game to play. Right. And that draws me in. Mm-hmm. I'd also say that I'm a big fan of John Douglas. I have read several of his books. I you like love, John I Douglas. love John Douglas. I am fanning over him. I really do love the way he writes and the way he unfolds crimes. Are you a fangirl? 
not to that degree no <laughs> but i definitely do like the way he writes and mm-hmm. that wasn't something i really discovered until reaching i think my late 20s mm-hmm. Wasn't he like the guy on Silence of the Lambs? He was the profiler, and he actually gave information about several different serial killers. Yeah, he's one of the pioneers in behavioral science. Yeah. And I'd probably say in real life, if I met the dude, I probably wouldn't really like him because he's a narcissist. (laughs) But I do really like the way that he's just built to capture serial killers, if that makes sense. So John Douglas, if you ever hear this, hi. (laughs) You got a fan, girl. He's like, isn't he? Eight? <laughs> yeah, he's up there. Okay. I guess what crimes affected me. There's numerous crimes that have affected me, and I think maybe it's because I'm so sensitive, you know. So I do take on, I do research a lot of cases, and then I really take it on, you know, personally the victims and and, and everything. But I would have to say the Green River Killing. So I lived in the Tacoma, Seattle area at the height of the serial killings. <laughs> And I lived very close to the area where he was hunting his victims. I was only 17, and I used to ride my bike in the woody areas. Little did I know what was going on until a few years later. And it's kind of scary to think about, you know. It's like, here I am, this 17-year-old kid on her 10-speed, just running around, riding around in the backwoods of Seattle and Tacoma, you know, just a mile or two away from his hunting ground. Yeah. Yeah, and then when I realized, I was like, oh, my goodness, you know. Someone was looking out for me, you know. I remember when you used to always bring those things up when we were kids. We always felt like, I'm so glad mom survived, <laughs> you know. <laughs> there was a level of protection. And yeah. we really... Well, and then there was the case of Danielle Van Damme. This one haunts me. That little eight-year-old girl that went missing from her home in February 2002. Uh, her body was found later that month in February, and it was a neighbor that was responsible for her kidnapping and death. And it is a case I would like to cover at some point for us to cover. I just read up on that case really? like three really? days ago. Oh, wow. Because it was around the same time of the John Benny Ramsey yeah, case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a few years later. She was a blonde-haired little girl, you know, cute as a button. But it was weird because I started sewing these pink and purple curtains for your guys' room. And I was kind of obsessed with it, and I don't know why. But I found out later that that was Danielle Van Damme's favorite colors. And then I had this vivid dream of her um, trying to come in to your guys' room in the middle of the night. She never said a word. She just looked at me. She looked really sad. But I told her that she needed to go and that she wasn't allowed to come in. And I think about that, and that just haunts me. Yeah, there's been numerous cases, you know, and I remember the first Chuck E. Cheese massacre in 1993. It was the first Colorado mass shooting. Mass shooting, yeah. yeah. Not many people know that. Right. And it was only about two or three miles from where we lived. That really was like, wow, you know, this is a family place, you know. So that's why I say, how does crime affect us as a community? Did we feel comfortable going back into Chuck E. Cheese? How does this affect us as a community? And everybody's level of, I don't want to say the word trauma, but I want to give it like ripple effects. Mm -hmm. Because I don't feel like right now I'm living in a trauma. Mm -hmm. But as far as how it affected my community... I mean, it just gets so difficult to unfold it because we do change, especially in the surroundings. For me, I couldn't step into a theater two years. And I could never to this day step into Century 16's mm-hmm. theater, even if the renovation or not. I've never gone. I could only go to a far away, like a 40 but minute. But you've been to Century 16 for many, many years, right? Yeah. Um, it was a theater that we lived not too far away from at the time. I went there so many times with just my friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We went there all the time. Could I step back inside of it today? 
I put don't it know. to you this way, the level of impact, because I was pregnant at the time it happened mm-hmm. with my first. And as I was walking out of the OBGYN office, I saw and recognized the kid I went to high school with who was on an interview. He was one of the nurses who pulled a girl out and carried her who got shot in the cheek. He became a hero and he rescued this girl and her friend, I believe. And I recognized him from high school and it was so weird to see it, to see these people who I grew up with. Some of them I knew well, some of them I didn't know as much. And then yes, there was victims who I did no. You did know a victim. I did know a victim. Personally. And then several of my friends who I had like a sweet 16 with, they suffered from PTSD as a result. I think it became an awareness that I never thought it would happen so close to home. Columbine shooting happened when I was still in elementary school. I saw the way it affected my teacher. And the impact of it didn't really occur until years later when people were like, yeah, sure, I went through and I saw the Columbine shooting. But I'll never forget my teacher's face. I can tell she was just devastated seeing her students and probably even knowing a possible amount of them. It was hard to see. Mass shootings definitely have created a level of awareness on podcasting. That's one of the things we will talk about eventually. Right. It's changed society, how we view schools, public places. The most recent in Colorado has been the King Supers shooting in Boulder. Yep. You know, so yeah, it is something that we are going to get into into another not podcast, but episode at one point. So what are your reasons for starting this podcast? Well, I guess it's pretty simple as far as us and our ability to talk. I talk to my mom. We talk a lot. (laughs) We talk a lot. Two to three hours at a time I'm on the phone with you. Mm -hmm. I feel like you're my best friend. And I feel like there's just this understanding and flow of conversation that occurs. It's natural. Another thing I would say is we always spoke about doing a podcast, throwing it out the window in brief conversation. Especially when I look at my phone, I'd be like, oh my goodness, that was three hours of conversation that just happened. (laughs) In time, I suppose we got a bit more confident and sure of ourselves that it wasn't just recording our conversation, but it really was feeling this deep desire to have voices heard. One of the things my mom and I talked about is this podcast isn't for us. One of the most deep reasons as to what's going to keep us motivated long term is that discussing crimes is an outlet for like the pent-up emotions of need for justice. I so desperately want victims' voices to be heard and awareness to be brought out. One of the things we'll talk about here is what cries out, why did we name it? But I want to ask you the same question, mom. Why podcasting? What makes you choose this? Because you also love true crime, and I love hearing your take on a case. We do talk for hours on the phone, and we have this wonderful symbiosis. You're more the critical thinker, very logical, and that grounds me. But, you know, with me, I think about possibilities and what-ifs, and I can get really far off in those. (laughs) You're like (laughs) floating to outer space. I'm like, come back. (laughs) No, so we do have this wonderful balance. I hope we do, yeah. No, we do. We do, and I love love talking to you. You are my best friend. It is to give the victims a voice and tell their story through a lot of times their eyes. That's why we do talk about like the topography of the area, you know, where they grew up or, you know, the town they they live in. We have no desire to solve cases or become armchair detectives. There's professionals that are trained to do that called law enforcement. Yes. Okay. But, you know, I like how crime impacts us individually. Not, I don't like how crime impacts us individually. <laughs> yeah, I like how I got that microwave stolen last week. <laughs> I'm interested in how crime affects us as a community and how does it change our behavior. Yeah. Like I mentioned before, the dynamics between victim and perpetrator – 
how their paths crossed or what led to the crime. Yeah, I agree. I, and I think they call that victimology. Yeah, victimology. Yeah. I think we are drawn into so many avenues of crime. It's not just like we like to hear the gory details of a crime. It's nothing like that. Oh, as a matter of fact, I don't like getting into gory details. We won't. We yeah. probably will never in this podcast get into the gory, nitty gritty details. Exactly. Trust me. There's a lot that you read, and you read the gory details, but that's not what our podcast is about. It's never going to probably be that way, mm-hmm. unless it pertains to the psychology of something. So if we ever do delve into a serial killer, we probably will give more details of manners of death in the future. And we'll give a warning, too. Yeah, they'll definitely give a warning. But I'd say one of the things is we love to delve down to the psychology, the behavior of it, the cues before, the cues after. We like to talk about the madness. Whenever we do take on the job of a solved case, you know, it's going to be really exciting to talk about the maddening aspect of it. Mm -hmm. What about where our inspiration comes from? The name, the inspiration? Well, I remember that day that you (laughs) called me up because, okay, this was after we started the podcast. We weren't recording yet. You threw it all in motion. You mentioned the name to me, you know, and you were like, what cries out? And I'm like, oh my goodness. So I want you to do the honors of explaining where the well, title come, came we've from. we've talked about this numerous times. Even when we would analyze, not analyze, I would say even when we would discuss, analyze makes us sound like experts. We're not. We're but whenever analyzing. we would analyze, little doctor Analyze. <laughs> we would always kind of talk about how the blood itself speaks. It speaks the DNA. It speaks the location. There's so much. But it also comes from a biblical inspiration. There's a Cain and an Abel. The first murder. The first murder. And that's one of the things that draws us to it. What cries out? It talks about how Abel's blood cried out. Where is justice, in a sense? And that is really why we named our podcast. We wanted to take the victim's hand, place it on our icon, and really show that the victim, what cries out, what things speak for this exact crime. We still believe that there's a spirit there. And we believe that this person does crave justice, not for themselves only, but for their families and their loved ones. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I guess that wraps it up. And to the listeners, why are you interested in true crime? Exactly. Why are you weird? (laughs) Weird like us. (laughs) We again, thank you guys so much for listening to this bonus episode. I hope it gives you a bit more clarity and understanding who we are. And I really hope this gives you a bit more excitement and listen to our future podcast and getting a good idea of what we have in the future for you thank you for listening thank you bye bye